Welcome to another episode of the Fifth Quarter Conversations Beyond the X's and O's with uh, Layson Perkins and Jeff Osterman. And so today joining us from L.A. is Richie Schuler, former college coach, now working for I, can we refer to it as the mothership or does somebody else have the have, have the, the um, I guess the, the copyright on that. But uh, Richie is an analyst with ESPN. He also has some other ventures that he's involved with with uh, travel, basketball and, and just, you know, an, an ambassador of the game. So excited to have a conversation with him. And uh, Jeff, I know you said you had some some real good questions to to, to bring to the table tonight for for Richie. And uh, this, uh, this is going to be a fun conversation. Now, this is going to be great for me. Forget our listeners, Layson. This is going to be fun. And Coach has so many different avenues. Like, we could go for hours. So you'll have to cut me off. <laughs> well, Richie, welcome. Uh, let's start with uh, just, you know, so, you know, of course, the basic background, you know, uh, where you, you know, where you started and, and just kind of uh, just a quick uh, overview. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, and first of all, I want to say I love what you guys are doing with the fifth quarter. I think this is needed. I think coaches need to hear this kind of stuff. I think coaches need to have these kind of conversations. And and uh, so I appreciate you guys letting me be a part of it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I mean, you know, I can call myself a basketball lifer, but I'm not anywhere close to your guys level yet. Uh, you know, I had my cup of tea playing college basketball as a walk on at the University of Evansville. And uh, that helped me understand that I wanted to get into coaching. And so, you know, I've had an opportunity to be a graduate assistant at Austin P in Tennessee under uh, legendary coach Dave Luce there, went to the NCAA tournament in the year that I was there. And uh, then went the small college route, I coached division three for a little while, just for a season actually. And then went to division two. And after a few years of being an assistant coach, I went on to be the head coach at the school. And that's where I met you, Layson. Right. I uh, had an opportunity to spend some time with you there in North Carolina. Uh, so it was an, a great opportunity for me. And I, and I, you know, I, I always wanted to stay in the game in some capacity, but decided to step outside of basketball and do some things involving basketball. I should say, stop, step, step aside from the coaching aspect of basketball, but I've, I found a way to keep myself in the game, uh, year round full time, which has been a lot of fun for me, seeing it from different, different, uh, viewpoints and different aspects of the game. No, that's that's good to know. So now I've got to ask: since you played at Evansville, did you were y'all wearing the the you know the old that that uniform with the the full shirt versus the you know the traditional basketball jersey when you were there? No doubt, yes. Under Jim Cruz, we wore the sleeves. That's what you're talking about—the sleeves, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the sleeves. <laughs> I wasn't sure what to call it. <laughs> yeah, they they called the sleeves, and I still have a practice jersey. Matter of fact. Uh, here's the thing about the sleeves. The sleeves, they, they were awesome. They were V-neck, which was uh, not really in style at the time. Nowadays, a lot of people wear V-necks. You know, it's more stylish, but it was V-neck and it was a T-shirt. But it was a thick, very thick uniform style T-shirt. And so it was great. But the practice jerseys, my gosh, were they heavy. Think about it. I, I mean, just the excess material you have. In a reversible practice jersey. So every time we had purple and orange, every time Coach Cruz would say, all right, Rich, you go purple or you go orange. I mean, it felt like you had like a 10-pound T-shirt that you were turning inside out to put back on. Wow. I, I never realized that as far as the, the, the you know, actual makeup of the of the fabric. But so, so okay, you're in Evansville. You're playing for a Knight disciple, you know, someone who had worked with, yeah. with Bobby Knight. What was that like? And were you wondering, oh, my God, did they just clone – Coach Knight here, and it's just a, another version of him. You know, I, I loved him, and, and but my my experience was a little different. I, I was a walk on on the team, and I didn't walk on until I was a senior. That that's what a lot of people don't realize. I was a one year senior year walk on, and so my situation was completely different. The guys that I came in as uh, with as freshmen, um, the guys that were on the team became my friends right away. And, and they would tell me by the time my senior year came around or the summer before when I decided that I was going to try to walk on, finally had the courage to do it. Uh, they were like, Rich, you're lucky because Coach Cruz was so much softer now than he was when we were freshmen. And uh, I don't know why that was. I, I do know that somewhere in that time, his mom had passed away. And, and a lot of people said that he kind of softened up after that a little bit. But um, I love Coach Cruz. You know, he treated me like I was a four-time All-American. And I was a senior senior year walk-on that hardly ever played. Matter of fact, right before we got on this, I, I was thinking about giving him a call because I'm going to be in his area here coming up in a weekend or so. And so I want to make sure I get spend some time with him. But he has become uh, a, like a friend, honestly. When I started getting into coaching, 
he befriended me. We, we, we even talked about a position on his staff at West Point uh, and ultimately took the head coaching job at St. Andrews that we just spoke about a minute ago. But I mean, he was, uh, you know, he wasn't throwing chairs, but he was intense and he was very careful to watch his language by the, you know, I don't know what he was like before I was there, but when I was there, he was uh, very careful to try to watch his language and he had substitute words instead of cuss words for those words. But the best coach I've ever been around, an incredible teacher. A lot of people will say that he was a better teacher of the motion offense than Bob Knight himself. And they say that because he actually played at it. And he was such a dynamite teacher. He would take lesser type players and find a way to get them to mold together, gel together uh, within a motion offense. And he always had some of the best shooters in the nation. I I learned so much fundamentally sound type stuff, playing within a team preparation, uh, basic fundamentals, footwork, all that kind of stuff under him. I mean, he's, he, he's my coaching God to me. Like he taught me, I mean, he's the basis of everything that I've learned. Lace and coach talked about flipping jerseys. I never had that problem. My coach never let me flip the Jersey. I was on the blue team. I never got the red team <laughs> coach. Let me stay on, on coach Cruz for a little bit. Um, you talked motion, and I think there's a lot of those legendary coaches that love to do it with less. You know, I bring up, you know, when I see certain coaches, I say, uh, you know, they do less with more. But some of those old timers really, I think they prided themselves on getting guys that maybe the jer- I always say the jersey didn't fit right. Too short, too tall, little pudgy, you know, but what in the motion offense did he really stress to you? That's great stuff. You know, he, you know, everybody talks about running motion, and, and you guys know this far better than I do. Um, but clearly, you can't just say go out there and run around. I mean, there's got to be rules within your motion. There's tendencies that you have to that you have to um, to run for it to work successfully. They were really big at Evansville under Jim Cruz, and I think it was all the same stuff they ran with Coach Knight in Indiana. They were really big with. Uh, some of these things, down screens, back screens, cross screens, and flare screens. Flare, you, we would flare screen people to death. I mean, to death. I mean, two, three, five, ten times in a 35-second shot clock at the time. Flare screen, flare screen, flare screen. So it's embedded in my head to the point now where as a middle-aged man, I'll go play pickup, and I said flare screen, and people don't even know what a flare screen is. <laughs> so it's uh, – it's, it, Flare screens were something that we ran all the time. It was it was amazing. And, you know, not just go out and set a screen. It was the ability to set a good hard screen. They were really big on setting our footwork properly and setting that foot uh, that screen the right way. And, of course, ball reversals were huge. Um, you know, he was all about, yes, we're going to play inside out. But at the end of the day, uh, our better scores, our better uh, players, generally speaking, were three-point shooters. Uh, Evansville, under his reign, oftentimes had very high three-point percentage rates. And like I said, some of the best shooters in the country in many different years. So it was all about ball reversals, lots of flare screens, screen, screen, screens of all types, and uh, trying to chuck up that three-point ball, that's for sure. I love it. Nothing to me, Layson, a big, small flare screen. Love it. Absolutely love it. And and I think, Coach, you can disagree, I think those coaches – they didn't miss anything in details. We've all had those coaches where today, I think a lot of young coaches, they're not on the details. They're worrying about and, and, and social media and TV and all of those things. But how many times back in our day did practice stop because you didn't make contact, you didn't screen, you didn't come off the screen, you didn't set up your screen. And, and I don't know if young coaches take the pride and we'll stop it. You know, everyone wants flow in practice, but you can't have flow if you're not doing the details. Um, you know, but, and, and to me, walk-ons were the best. My favorite part of college was dealing with walk-ons because they were paying their way. They earned everything. They were appreciative, not why didn't we get two pairs of sneakers, a red, a blue. It's they got a pair. They were happy, you know, so walk-ons, I'm sure your relationship and, he probably tells the same stories about you to take a senior walk on. That's, I mean, that's unheard of. And you know that how about off the court? What, what DNA has coach Cruz left on you? Well, you know, off the court, um, when I was a player, I was scared to death of him. 
uh, you know, because he, he just had that aura about him. But, um, you know, now uh, him and I have a fantastic relationship. I mean, it's almost a friendship. I mean, it, as much as a coach-former player relationship can be, uh, he has taught me so much about, you know, preparation was something that he always preached. Um, you know, I remember specifically, you know, he would make us carry notebooks everywhere. And, and I, I tried to do that when I was a coach. It didn't go as well. And maybe it was just, you know, different culture in the area of the country I was in because uh, it's different everywhere. But he would make us carry our, our purple and white notebooks that said University of Evansville on it. And we had to take it to practice. We had to take it on the road. We took it to our room, to film sessions, in the locker room. And we, at any point in time, had to write something down. And I remember, I believe I remember where I was in the locker room when I wrote in my purple notebook. And it's like my Bible. My, my, I always refer back to it. I've, it's so much I still discover when I go back and look at it. It's something about um, uh, when you're prepared in life, you're always, it's always less stressful. And, and, and it makes sense. I, I read that. I reread that like five years ago. I was like, my gosh, that makes sense. Like if you're prepared for any situation, you're not stressed when the situation comes. You know, we try to teach that to our players. We try to teach that to our students, uh, our teams. And, and, you know, I've carried that uh, outside of basketball into life. Like I try to be prepared for any type of scenario that might pop up and whatever it is that we're talking about. And uh, that has helped immensely. But another thing about Coach Cruz is that he never treated people, um, at least I didn't see it, and I, I certainly don't see it now. He treated everybody equally. It didn't matter. You know, you always hear about that. It didn't matter what your, uh, how society viewed you. You were a human being. And, and Coach Cruz has uh, very much a, a, a become a very much a spiritual man, and um, he'll, he'll talk really about that. Uh, he's just a, you know, it, if you can get away from the whole mentality of, Oh man, he's a Bob Knight disciple. He must be, he must be nuts. You know, I'm pretty sure when he was younger, he was a lot like that. But as he's gotten older, uh, especially by the time I got to him in the year 99, uh, he became very much a salt of the earth kind of guy. And um, just the kind of person that you, uh, just a true gentleman, in my opinion. I'll tell you what, I, I would have loved to have heard the conversations between him and Majerus when he was at St. Louis, because I'm sure those were some, <laughs> some interesting conversations around motion. You know, because you're, you're talking, you know, obviously. Yeah. No yeah, doubt. I, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, Lace. And I, I just, it's funny that you say that because I saw him. I went back to Cincinnati where I'm from, uh, I think around May or June to see uh, my, my niece graduate high school. And him and I went and had uh, breakfast together, which lasted four hours. And I was like, Coach, I got to go. Uh, you know, we had, we were just talking and talking and catching up. And that's the kind of guy he is. Again, I'm just a walk on what I do for him. And he still treats me like I was an All-American player. He's just that kind of person. But I asked him, I said, Coach, because, you know, him and Coach Majerus were, have been, like, closest of friends for 20, 30 years. Right. And I asked him, I said, I said, Coach, I got to ask this question. I've been thinking about it for 10 years. He's like, what? I said, uh, how are you and Rick Majerus friends? You guys were completely opposite people. Like, I know who you are, and I know what kind of man you are, and I hear all these horror stories about Rick Majerus. Uh, as great as a coach he was, you hear things. And he goes, Rich, we just kind of came up together. Like we worked camps together. We, we, we had mutual friends. Uh, he's a different man. I'm a different man, but something clicked. You know, they just had a friendship over basketball, especially. But you talk about two phenomenal minds. And that's what I think you were going to get at, Lace, before I rudely cut you off by accident. Uh, two no. outstanding basketball minds, man. Those two together were probably a treat to listen to in the office each and every day. Oh, I, yeah, I, I would think that that would have been just a, a fun time, especially for a young coach just to, you know, sit there and take notes. But but what I wanted to ask you about, you talk about your walk-on experience. And, I, you know, I know for a lot of kids, that's kind of a hard thing to accept because a lot of times they're the, they're the star of their high school team. And now, you know, they were expecting to be recruited. They wanted to, you know, they were expecting to, to, to you know, get a scholarship offer. Now you're having to basically work your butt off just to get a spot on the team. So, I mean, how did you handle it mentally? I mean, what would you what would you say to yourself on a daily basis to kind of stay focused and 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 stay prepared for the opportunity? You know, my story is um, my sister was four years ahead of me in school. So when she's a freshman in college, I'm a freshman in high school. Where did she go to school? University of Evansville. Hadn't even heard of them at the time. In Cincinnati, four hours away. Uh, all you know of is what's on TV, the big schools, right? And they're just a mid-major at the time, right? Or still are. And um, for seven years in my mind, from the time I was in ninth grade when she started there to the time I became a senior in college or right before, my dream for some reason was to be on that team. So I'm 
my sister is bringing home posters for me, signed autograph from players. And to me, it's like the biggest deal in the world. Uh, game programs, and I'm reading all about these players. I was a fan. Uh, but at the same time, I thought, man, one day, one day, maybe I can wear those sleeves that you talked about, Coach Austin. Maybe one day, you know. And um, I got there as a freshman and got the wheels going right away. I started talking to players. Uh, I played in pickup games for two days in the first or second week of school and got so discouraged I never came back. I was, I, you know, part of it was because I was at the time a very sensitive kid. And here are all these grown men jocks, many of them who I knew. And uh, of course, you know, I had gone to college with them for three or I had been watching them through high school and that kind of thing. And so, uh, you know, they're joking around, cracking jokes. I probably took a little too many jokes, a little too uh, uh, sensitive and got my feelings hurt. And uh, I just gave it up. And I even talked to Coach Cruz. I went I asked Coach Cruz if you remember this the other day when I saw him tour back in May or June. I went to his office and I talked to him right around that time. And I said, hey, uh, you know, I'm interested in walking on and he he you know, he made me feel like I was a centimeter big. Uh, you know, he, he, I was so scared. I, I quit. I gave up. And so for three years in college, living the college experience, every day was depressing to me. Intramurals wasn't cutting it. And so at the end of my junior year, I finally said, this is it. I got one last chance. And, and they let me work out all summer. And, and there, the rest is history. So for me, there was no ego. For me, it was, uh, I want to do anything to be a part of this team. I want to do anything to, to say that I played Division One basketball. And it's unbelievable how much one basketball season, like one calendar year has done for my life. It got me in coaching. It got me into doing television. It got me into meeting all these awesome people like yourselves. It's just incredible. It just People just need that one chance in life. They just need one little spark to get them going. And if you, if you ride that wave, it's, it's amazing uh, what doors open for you. That's amazing. So let's talk about the transition to coaching. So now you 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 you've you've made that jump. How much of your coaching philosophy came from working, you know, playing for Coach Cruz? How much came from maybe your high school coach? Other sources? How did you? Yeah, how did you kind of put together your initial plan for 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 being you know being a head coach? Yeah, you know, Coach Cruz was definitely my my strongest influence, but he was also very similar to my high school coach, Mike Young. Um, who uh, they're both Midwestern guys, Ohio, Indiana, very similar style. Uh, wasn't much difference between them. So um, th- that was kind of the mentality. When I was a, at Austin P on staff, I was a grad assistant, but at Austin P, uh, you're also the uh, third assistant at the time. They only had two full-time assistants. So every GA was a third assistant. So you got thrown in there immediately, which was pretty cool. Um, and Dave Luce was the head coach and uh, his style was completely different completely different. So I had to learn a whole new style. So, you know, fast forward a few years of, of being under some different coaches, uh, having the opportunity to learn their styles as well. I kind of put it all together and, you know, I'll tell you, there's, there's five things that was five buzzwords that always, uh, were in my mind as I was going through the interview process to become the head coach of St. Andrews. And I learned it. I'd say coach Cruz was probably almost responsible for all of them, but these five things never leave my head structure, discipline, organization, consistency, and accountability. Accountability, And those are all words we use as coaches, but those five words are always in my head. And those are the five words I went into to being a head coach. So I got the job at St. Andrews. And the mistake that I made, though, was I wanted to do everything similar to how not, – not completely the same. I wasn't trying to carbon copy Coach Cruz, but I wanted to play that motion-style offense. That's what I learned. I knew how to run it. I knew how to teach it. Uh, what, I, what I made a grave mistake in was – I soon realized after after doing it midway through the season that and probably probably a little bit sooner, but uh, I kept going through midway through the season is that the style of play that the kids in North Carolina play are completely different than the style of play in Indiana. And so I made a massive mistake because all these kids who I thought I could transform as a 30 year old head coach, they had never been taught any of the stuff. So we were starting from ground zero. So that was a young and dumb mistake that I had made. Um, and so, yeah, but I, I, I had to consistently, you know, change my philosophies throughout my time as head coach. Uh, and, and we finally started to turn the corner there a little bit. Um, and then you probably remember this lace and all the stuff that went down at the institution. I was at losing the credibility and that kind of changed everything. Accreditation, that kind of changed everything. But we, we did change our style a little bit. And then, uh, and then at some point, uh, you know, I, I made the move to get out of coaching. Layson. The best part of Austin P to me as a New Yorker, Fly Williams, 
and the chant, let's go pee. You know, that was, that's Austin P to me. But coach, going back, your five, I scribbled it down, your pillars, those just aren't coaching. Those are being a parent. Those are having a job, a coach. You know, those five pillars, you can just base everything on in life, really. Those were fantastic. How did you know, Coach, it was time for you to take the next step, you know, from going to GA, you know, and obviously being comfortable, you got to do a lot. How do you know when it's safe to leave the nest? You know, there's a lot of coaches this year that maybe thought about looking at another job, but either they weren't confident, they weren't sure. How did you know when, hey, it's time for me to try to take another step? You know, for me, it was a little different. I kind of just alluded to it a little bit. But, you know, when I was at St. Andrews at the time, it was NCAA Division II. And they the whole time I was an assistant coach there before I came head coach, they had always been on uh, – always had major accreditation issues at that school. All right. And so uh, when I took over as head coach, they were on a three-year probation, which definitely everybody used against us in recruiting. And so uh, for me, uh, when those three years came up and we finally got to that 500 mark, um, August 1st, going into my fourth year, we lost the school, school lost their academic accreditation. We got kicked out of the NCAA. The school tried to hide it from us and everybody arrived on campus upset and disappointed because they were stuck there. And so I finished out that last year because we had nine seniors and we were loaded, ready to have a great year. And it was the most exhausting season I've ever had in my entire life. It was just, you know how you feel sometimes when you're having a bad year in January, February? I felt that way in mid-November. Mid uh, trying to motivate guys when they couldn't be all conference, when they couldn't win the conference championship. And they, they had, it was tough, uh, you know, and you got guys that wanted to play pro. So now they're trying to get theirs and guys are calling and saying, yo, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to go to the game tomorrow because I got tests to study for, you know, it was, it was, so for me, there was some burnout um, totally at that time. Uh, you know, I'd had some opportunities to go elsewhere. I, I had another division two head coaching offer after that season um, but it was in probably an equally bad job at the time. And, uh, and, and I just, I'm the kind of person that I, I know that I love coaching basketball, but I also know I have some other interests and I know I will have to be around the game in some capacity. But for me, it was, I, I knew even going into that last year that win or lose, whether we keep the accreditation or not, this is probably my last year at St. Andrews. And if I don't go somewhere else that I, I think I'm going to be happy at from a personal standpoint, not just from a coaching standpoint, from a personal standpoint, remember I wasn't married with any kids at that time. So living in small towns was, was kind of eating at me. Um, and, you know, I, I knew that uh, that might be the last year. And so, you know, having the opportunity to uh, make the decision to get out and hand the job to my assistant coach uh, for me uh was kind of a no-brainer. I, I knew that I wanted to try my hand in some media stuff. And I knew I wanted to try my hand in doing some international basketball trips type stuff. All that stuff came to fruition. And so uh, for me, it was, is look, I, I love the game of coaching, but at that time, I feel like I have 30, 40 more years to do it. And, and if I ever want to have more of a balanced life and, and still be around the game, but have more of a balanced life and be able to maybe live in a place I want to live, this is time to make a move. And it was scary. I'm telling you, it was scary. And people were like, Richie, what are you doing? Like you're 34, you've been four years as a head coach. What are you doing? And then fast forward a couple of years later, all those same coaches are calling me saying, Rich, I want to do the same thing. I'm exhausted. I want to get out. I want more balance. Can you give me some advice? And, but it was a scary jump, man. It was, it was a really scary jump, but it was time. And uh, trust me, uh, I, I talk to a staff every year about getting back in, but I never pulled the trigger. <laughs> Very close though. Coach, you were an assistant there before you were the head coach, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, so Layson and I have talked about this uh, in depth with a lot of coaches. Let's talk about the 12-inch slide going from assistant to head coach at the same institution, and then maybe part B is when you handed it off to your assistant, you know, what are some things, because obviously – Coaches that listen have, are taking over a new program where they were the assistant. Now they did the 12-inch slide, call everything. What are some things maybe looking back that you would differ or tell the assistant, your assistant that followed you, on or off the court? That's tough. And it's, you know, I feel like it was especially tough where I was at in a school that 
you know, you, you don't have full scholarships. Your facilities are poor. It was, it, you were behind the eight ball with everybody else in the league. It's, it was, you know, probably the worst job in the league. So, you know, you, you, as an assistant, you're doing everything you can to keep a relationship with your players, to keep them excited to play for you, to, to enjoy the experience at that school. Um, you know, so for me, it was incredibly difficult because I had a good relationship with all these players as an assistant. Now I got to jump to head coach and to try to find that balance without trying to lose them because we had a play, we had a real problem and a lot of small colleges do retaining players to your school, uh, especially at small colleges. And we had a massive issue there. It was, you, you had a hard time keeping them longer than two years. So to try to keep those kids at the same time, slide over to head coaching position in a program that had only won a seven games or whatever it was the year before, that was a major challenge. And it, I know I, I probably, uh, I, I, I think what I did was I, and I've told myself this before, I've told other people this, I, I probably didn't make the changes as sudden as I should. I, I was trying to kind of let, we had, a, we had a few seniors that year, and I was trying to kind of slowly go through it, make my changes, but then the following year really hammer down and make the changes exactly how I wanted. In hindsight, I wouldn't have done that. In hindsight, I would say, look, be you, uh, immediately go into who you are, still understanding that you know these kids have emotions, but they need to understand that this is how the ship's going to be run from this point forward. And, and I wish I had done that sooner. Um, I feel like we did a good job of that, but I, I, I could have done a better job. Uh, so, you know, and I feel like my assistant coach who took over, Andrew Brown, who's now an assistant coach at Gardner-Webb, doing a great job. Uh, I, I feel like he, when I left, really decided to, to, to change. And, and I gave him that same piece of advice. Be you right away. Don't let them linger on with, you know, my way of doing things. Do it your way. And it worked out for him. So, Richie, let's talk about the, the, the next chapter, going from college coach now to ESPN, ESPN analyst. So walk us through how did that journey start? What was the, I guess, the procedure for you, to, you know, like a tryout, you know, preparing? And, and then if you don't mind, kind of share with us kind of like a weekly schedule of, you know, if you've got two games you're calling that week, how does your, what does your schedule look like? And, and, and how similar is it to what you were doing as a coach or if there are similarities? Yeah. Uh, I wish there was a tryout. It, it's, it's, you know, you know, who Bob Rathbun is, he's the voice of the Atlanta Hawks. And uh, he told me once he goes, Rich, this is the only profession where they'll throw a former player, a coach in the broadcasting seat, throw some headsets on them and expect them to do well and sink or swim. If you don't do well, you're gone. Uh, and that's what they do. Uh, you know, my situation is a little different because I don't have a big name. I'm not a big name, former player, or coach. So I, I had to find other ways to get noticed and get, get these big time producers and directors to like me. Uh, when I was in my last year at St. Andrews and all that was going down, and I hate to keep talking about that issue, the whole accreditation thing, but it was a major deal and it was talked about all through the Carolinas. And uh, I, we played, we exhibition Winthrop. And, you know, when you're playing these D1s, as you guys know, uh, there's all those pregame coverage and the radio guys will interview. You don't ever see that in Division Two, not where I was at anyway. So I'm talking to Dave Friedman, who's still today the play-by-play -play for Winthrop. And he's asking me all these questions on the interview to, to air about the accreditation issue. He's, he's done so much research. He's, he's probably the most researched guy I've ever known. And off when we got off, I said, yo, man, I said, look, I said, don't put this on air, but uh, I feel like I can trust you. This is my last year at St. Andrews. I'm, I'm, I'm just seeing these seniors through. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, but if you ever need an analyst, let me know. I did a little bit in college <laughs> or right after college at Evansville. I did a little bit. And um, he goes, yeah, let's talk next week. So that season, I'm, I'm still a head coach. That season, I, I worked eight games, a little bit over two hours away outside of Charlotte in Rock Hill, South Carolina, from Laurenburg, uh, North Carolina, uh, doing winter games. So he would, <laughs> we, we, I would end practice early. I would start practice early so I could end practice early, get out of practice at 445 or 5, sprint two hours away, get there about 10 minutes before tip-off, he'd throw a headset on me and be like, this is Dave Friedman introducing the head men's basketball coach at St. Andrews as my analyst, blah, 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 and went right into it. And he's like, Rich, you're good. you got a future at this. And so the next season, when I was out of coaching, I'm sitting in Laurenburg, North Carolina, not knowing what to do with my life, uh, gave my job to my assistant, and I'm trying to give him space. I did the whole season with him. And so, you know, I was able to get enough tape because we did some pregame stuff on video and we did like, uh, you know, some internet casts and stuff like that, which is very like low level, low quality stuff um, during the Big South Conference tournament. So it gave me a little video, put together a demo reel, which I laugh at when I see now. And around that time, I decided to come to Los Angeles for a month or two 
to visit my cousin, which by the way has now been eight years and I'm not leaving anytime soon. And I, I, I like to say I pimped out that demo reel to anybody and everybody within three hours. And uh, got a lot of no, no, no's. Uh, met some people on LinkedIn that let me do some radio stuff and things like that. And finally got an opportunity from the Big West Conference who was putting together their ESPN3 package at the time. They just built a truck for all ESPN or all Big West games on ESPN3. That was my big break. That's how I got in. And I, I've been their primary analyst for the last eight years. But after a few years of that, that led me to ESPNU and ESPN2 and even ESPN. Um, even had some opportunities to get some Fox stuff last year as well. Actually, with COVID going on, there was a lot of changes. But it's it's that's kind of how it works. It's it's almost like coaching. You know, in, in coaching, you're networking with other coaches. You're, work, you're networking with athletic directors. Uh, in, in, in TV, radio, you're networking with producers and directors. It's no different. It's the same skill set. It's follow up. It's being uh, I would like this. I like to say uh, uh, patiently persistent. You know what I mean? So you're constantly on them, but you're you're being per- persistent about it. But you're you're patient. You're not overdoing it. And uh, you just got to take the big break that comes. And, you know, I think what what they like about me is they they say I have enthusiasm. They, they like the storytelling. But I think they like the head coaching aspect, despite the fact that I didn't have the world's best coaching record. They like the fact that I come at the broadcast with a head coaching perspective. Uh, and I don't have a ton of that. You know what I mean? They have a lot of former players who never coached at all. And I think they like the fact that they have some some coaches on the West Coast that are on their airwaves. So what does a week of preparation look like? You know, if you're if you're getting ready to if you're getting ready to call a game, how much, you know, how much film are you watching of the team? How much, you know, how does the interview process work with the coaches and the players? And and just kind of give us a little background on that. Yeah, you know, when it comes to January and February, there's no more one game a week type stuff like there might be in the fall. Um, I've done as many as five games in a week before, which is insane. Uh, but a typical week for me the last four or five years has been probably three games all through January and February. And it's insane because it might not just be with ESPN. It might be with the stadium network. It might be with the Big West Productions. It might be on Spectrum. And, it, and most of them will be with ESPN. Uh, so you're traveling from one city to another, not getting much sleep. If you're just having one or two games, uh, I'm trying to pop in uh, or watch on the TV here on a replay, um, at, at least a game on each team. You know, the, the biggest misnomer, and I think a lot of people think, man, these, these analysts, wow, they really know everything. I don't need to know everything. Uh, I would love to dissect their offense and defense and scout it like I'm going to play against them. And early on, I did that. And early on, I figured out after about a year or two, I am completely wasting my time. Because if I am talking about, I remember one time, by the way, you talk about flare screens. We we're talking about Evansville back in the day. One time I said something on air about uh, a flare screen. And we get off air and my play-by-play partner elbows me. And we're in a commercial break. And he, he takes his, head, his headset off and goes, Rich, nobody knows what a flare screen is. Like, you got to dumb this down for the average couch potato watching these games. He's like, you're not talking to your coaching friends. You can't use all this coaching lingo. You've got to say it in, wor- in ways that people on air watching that have never played the game of basketball are going to understand. And so I, I learned right away, I don't have to get overly technical. Um, the one guy that can do that and get away with it and sounds great, I don't know how he does it, is Hubie Brown. I think he's fantastic, and I think every coach loves listening to him. And I think if you're an average couch potato, you learn something from him. But what I need to learn is I need to learn tendencies of that player I need to get familiar with that player. I need to know, uh, uh, you know, tendencies of the offense, tendencies of the defense. Uh, you know, you know, it's a free throw. Okay, they're going to go in their two-two-one if it goes in. Or this is the team that's going to go zone on a make and man on a miss. Or this is a team that's going to run a matchup. Or you know, in their offense, they run a series of ball screens, and this is what they do out of it. I need to know generalities, not so much specifics. But when there's a replay or an opportunity to break something down, I need to know what I'm talking about, and that's when I can go back into my coaching life and say, okay, this is, you know, this is coaching. This is a little bit of coach speak that I can use on air. Um, but it, it's amazing. Like you, and I probably over-prepare, uh, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because when it's there, when it's needed, you have it. You know what I mean? It might be that something happened and you can look back at your notes and say, oh yes. And remember, matter of fact, two years ago, this same player in almost the exact same moment, blah, 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 blah. And then you sound like you really know what you're talking about. So, um, very long-winded answer to your question, Layson, but uh, I, I try to watch about, you know, one game on each team at least. 
Um, but when it starts to get to three or four games, that can get very difficult. Uh, if you're, you, you, you can get a half in, you can get a lot. If you can go to shoot arounds, if you can go to a practice the day before a game, you can almost get more. You can learn more by sitting down with the coaches and the SIDs and watching how they prepare and practice. And, and, and you have a lot of trust in the coaches because as you're, as you're watching them scalp and prepare against their opponent that next day or that day, they have to trust that you're not going to tell that next team that comes in the gym for their shoot around. So you have to really toe that line. But, but at least on air, you can say, oh, yeah, today I saw them preparing for this ball screen right here. This is how they're going to handle it, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. No, absolutely. So because you're watching West Coast teams and, you know, there's probably some teams that maybe don't get the, the coverage or the love that maybe they deserve. I mean, unless you're, you know, unless you're Gonzaga or a Pac-10 team. You know, they're, they're not maybe they're, you're not watching them as much maybe in the Midwest or the East. So who are some teams or some 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 coaches that you just feel like do a great job? You you like what you see. You know, this would be one if I, if I were coaching again, this would be a team I'd probably want to watch a little closer or, or maybe do a deeper dive on. Yeah, that's great. And that's that's the awesome thing about this is I can go and watch uh, so many different teams prepare, watch them practice. And I've learned so much about, man, there is a million ways to skin a cat. Oh, my gosh. Like, there are so many ways to get this done. I, like, I really love Russell Turner at UC Irvine. I mean, they, they are phenomenal with their defense and rebounding every year. What wins games? Defense and rebounding. Their offense is all based through their posts. And their, 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 their post development is absolutely incredible. I, I've seen many of their skill development sessions, preseason, postseason, in-practice stuff. I love what they do. And, and – you know, if I ever were to coach again and, and I wanted to have the kind of program that, that went through the post uh, at, like they do at that level, that staff is the first staff I'm going to contact. Um, you know, Brian Dutcher at San Diego State, well documented how great a defensive rebounding team they are. Uh, I really like what I see with uh, Craig Smith, who was at Utah State, now at the University of Utah. Uh, and his energy, man, if you ever get a chance to have an interview with him or listen to or watch an interview, he, he is so energetic he is so enthusiastic he, he's it's it's hard not to smile when you're around him because he's that kind of guy um i learned a lot from watching eric musselman when he was in nevada down i mean no doubt the best shoot around sessions i've ever seen in my entire life consistently it, they they ha, it's like it's like watching a circus you know a circus has like three things going on at once Take a circus with 30 things going on at once, and that's Eric Musselman's shoot-around session. It's incredible what they get accomplished in the time, maybe 45 minutes that they're in there. So, I mean, I could go on and on, but it, it's just it's amazing. Um, you know, I, I never watched West Coast basketball. Uh, a lot of these teams I never even heard of when I got out here. I had to learn real quick. And now it's pretty much 90% of the basketball that I watch. So it's, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. What about settings? Because I remember when I was – watching a lot of west coast basketball i was watching a lot of utah state back in the day and that seems like that place could be crazy i forget who the guy was that behind the goal when they shoot free throws would do the different wow. things so wh wh what settings do you think are just you know we, we, we're used to cameron here you know but what settings have you been it's just like yeah. this is wild yeah, well gonzaga's phenomenal but i'll be honest with you i've never been there just on on tv uh Arizona State's supposed to be really cool. Never been there. Uh, but games that I've worked, uh, Nevada under Musselman was was awesome. It was it was so much fun. They had the must bus going, which they've now brought the must bus down to Arkansas. And I used to have a lot of fun bits and entertainment in there. Um, the uh, um, Utah State, you just mentioned them. They're a lot of fun. St. Mary's. Have you have you seen the gym at St. Mary's? I mean, it's almost the size of your kitchen. Yeah, I've been, yeah, I've been in put, the gym. Uh, You're right. It's, it's, it's small. <laughs> You put 5,000 people in that kitchen, and, and that's quite the atmosphere. It, it's phenomenal. But hands down, the, the best atmosphere I've ever been a part of was at the pit in Albuquerque, University of New Mexico. Uh, they consistently 10, 12,000 people. I worked the game. I don't know if you remember this. Because it was a West Coast game and everybody was asleep because it was a midnight tip-off Eastern time uh, or maybe 11 o'clock, so it ended at like 1.00. It was the best game in college basketball that year. Nevada was up on them by – Nevada was down at, at New Mexico by 25 points. And uh, I worked that game. It was an ESPN2 game. Uh, with, five, with, with a minute to go, New Mexico was still up by 11. 
New Mexico or, and Nevada in the last two minutes hit some ridiculous threes off the backboard, falling on the ground. Anyway, they tied it to go into overtime, down 25. And you could see it. I think it's on the last five minutes or on my YouTube channel. Uh, and I've never heard a group of people boo so loud in my entire life like the fans did at the pit at their own team. Like I had my headsets on, my headset on. We're on national TV. And you can't, it doesn't do its justice on the TV broadcast, but I could hardly hear the guy next to me speaking. It was the loudest I've ever heard of Jim my entire life. I'm getting goosebumps right now thinking about it. It was so loud. They were booing their team so bad. And they ended up losing in overtime to Nevada. And unfortunately, it helped get that coach fired because uh, he got fired at the end of the season. New Mexico fans don't play. Uh, but but when they got it rolling, I know Richard Patino's down there now, and I'm sure he'll get some players in there. When they get it rolling, that 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 is one of the best home atmospheres that I've ever experienced in my entire life. You know, Coach, I, I think the skill set you bring, you touched on it a little bit, and being in women's basketball collegiately for 25 years, there are many announcers these days. But I think the true skill lies in an analyst, and and you you touched on that. And the good ones, Layson, you can tell because in shoot-around – they're paying attention. And I used to, the ones we trusted, I'd give them a scout. They would take notes. They would do things, you know, but coach, I think when, again, you bring the passion, but I think you also bring insight, you know, a lot of times with announcers, they don't know what an ATO is. You know, they're talking about shopping at the mall or my flight or my nails getting done. When you're giving us, hey, what are they talking about in the huddle right now? You know, who are some of the shoot-arounds? How different are coaches in their shoot-arounds? Are some more full speed cover everything or some more half speed, let's worry about us and address two of their top actions? I've seen the spectrum. I mean, most teams are going somewhere between 45 to an hour, and they're working on their stuff a little bit, but then most of them are walking through the other team stuff for probably half of it. To, to just make it as basic and easy as, you know, to, to explain. However, I have seen, I don't want to name the coach. He's no longer at his institution, but he's at another place now. I've seen him do two-hour shoot-around sessions where it looked like an all-out sprint. Guys were sprinting down the floor on defense, transition drills, this and that and the other. And, I, I you know, their, their record may be reflected, you know, because they always had great talent, but they couldn't get over the hump on anything. So, um yeah, I, you know, I think I'm doing a poor job of answering your question, Coach. Uh, but for the most part, I, I think, you know, I've seen a wide spectrum of it. Uh, you know, I think all of them are probably 45 minutes to an hour, and most of them are, are, are you know, going through um, half-court sets for the opposing team, and they're just working on their stuff as a review. Let's talk, before we get to Hollywood, let's talk bloopers. So you're new in it. You know, maybe what's the best story or blooper that you had as now a former coach moving to announcer? Is there some great story about an interview with a friend or one of your bloopers? <laughs> yeah. You remember the whole Tom Brady deflated football thing? And you know who sure Bill do. Vinovich is? You know, Bill Vinovich is a uh, an NFL referee on a, on a Sunday during football season. You're going to see him. A lot of times he's the microphone guy. Or the, he's the, the referee. Uh, on a lot of NFL broadcasts. Well, we had a Thursday game at Cal State Northridge. Uh, Bill Vinovich is doing the Super Bowl that Sunday, but Bill Vinovich is our referee for the basketball game at Cal State Northridge. And, uh, you know, he does a lot of college basketball. He lives in L.A., I think. He's always out here doing games. So, you know, we're always joking around with him. At that time was when the whole Tom Brady thing was going on, and that Super Bowl was Sunday, and Bill Vinovich is doing the Super Bowl. Uh, so, a lot of, there's this really weird guy. They call him the uh, West Side Reynolds guy. Is this what you're looking for, a funny story like this? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so there's this really strange guy. He was middle-aged. They call him the West Side Reynolds guy because he used to work for this company called West Side Reynolds. Well, he always wants attention. So he goes to all these local games where cameras are. He puts on his Mickey Mouse gloves, and he always does this goofy dance, you know, so the cameras see him in and out of timeouts and coming back from breaks. And So we're coming back from a break, and our sideline reporter is doing – a uh, like a, a a talk about Bill Vinovich and how he's doing the Super Bowl Sunday. So the camera is going around him as Vinovich is at the free throw line with the ball in his hand, looking all stoic. 
because the game is about to be back in play and he's going to hand the ball. And we're like, the, this is like the last four minute timeout. And so she's like, wow, you know, Bill Vinovich, you know, doing the Super Bowl, um, you know, let's just hope that, you know, the balls aren't deflated. Ha ha ha. And uh, they go to the West Side Reynolds guy and he's doing this funny dance thing. And it's like, he's so weird, right? So goofy. And my play by play partner goes, wow, talking about Vinovich, what a life he leads. And I said, what a life he leads. And I did, it just came out. Like, now I got to worry about everything I say. I said, what a life he leads. And they went to this West Side Reynolds guy. I said, I think this guy's balls are deflated. And then, <laughs> just like you're reacting right now, I, I realized what I said. I said, I'm not in the locker room right now. I'm on TV. Fortunately, this is a streamed ESPN3 game. But I just talked about how some guy's balls were deflated on a national broadcast. And my heart is beating out of my chest. And I'm like, this is my second or third year in this. I'm getting fired. Uh, they're going to fire me. I'm going to find out right after the game. As soon as the game's over, I'm scared to death. The sideline reporter runs to the table. The buzzer goes off. She runs. She is rolling, laughing with tears in her eyes. She goes, which one of you is the one that says something about that guy's balls being deflated? And I'm playing dumb. Wasn't me. But she goes, I knew it was you. My dad's laughing. He's texting me. I was scared to death. Nobody ever said anything. Uh, so nothing happened. But uh, if that's the funny story you wanted, hopefully that wasn't yeah. a bad word I couldn't say on this podcast. No, no, that's great. That's great. <laughs> you know, again, Coach, let's talk about your pivot, right? You take your skill set, you know, from crews, flares, to coaching, to now let's talk a little Hollywood and advising if it's commercials. You know, maybe expand on how that all happened with the uh, sports coordinator type stuff. Yeah. You know, it's been a while since I've done that. Um, Lisa and I know, both know a mutual guy named Hernando Plamels, who was uh, deep into it at the time where he was, uh, uh, he had a connection out here in Los Angeles who I, who I know as well, company out here where he would go and um, uh, go to different parts and be a coordinator for, uh, on sports commercial sets. And um, every once in a while, I still get an inquiry about it. I just got one a couple of weeks ago, actually. Uh, but, you know, Hernando got me involved where uh, I was able to do um, a commercial in New York City. I was able to do a commercial in uh, Turkey with uh, some members of their women's Olympic team, as well as their Paralympic team. And uh, also an NBA commercial in Las Vegas the summer that I moved here to L.A. At the time, I was still just visiting. And uh, so that's how I got involved. Hernando was the connection. He was from the Los Angeles area and he was doing it. But at the time, he was uh, an assistant coach at Duke on the women's staff. And so um, he had me get involved with some things and things that he couldn't do. And it was a blast. It didn't last very long. Uh, you know, I've had inquiries, but I haven't really had a ton of work with it since. Uh, but there is a, a one group or two that keeps telling me as soon as we get something in basketball, I'm calling you. So I'm still waiting for that call. But it's a lot of fun. I, the NBA commercial I did in Vegas, uh, I got to spend some time with a lot of up-and-comers at the time. Paul George, Damian Lillard, who's come off his rookie year. Um, Kemba Walker was one of the friendliest guys I've ever met. Gordon Hayward, all these guys. Um, you know, I'm not a starstruck kind of guy. I always like to know what are these cats like behind the scenes? You know, what do they really like as humans? That's what's important to me. And I, I really learned that all those guys are just such good humans. And I really gravitated to Kemba and I really gravitated to Damien. And that's my claim to fame in life is that Damien Lillard follows me on Twitter. Uh, it's, I don't have many claims in life, but Damien Lillard follows me on Twitter. So one of these days, someone follow me when he realizes I'm a nobody. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep hanging on to it. <laughs> but no, it's it's it was a lot of fun, and I'm, I'm hoping that I can pick some of that back up here in the near future. Richie, tell us about PhD uh, hoops and, and some of the things that you've got going on because you, you've done some travel with some teams. You recently had a, a, a West Coast swing uh, or, or yeah. an event there on the West Coast with some some really good guys that I know, like uh, Tim Rogers and, and some others that I'm that I, I know. And uh, just just talk a little bit about that side of the business and, and how you've You've taken that from startup and, and scaling it. Yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, I, I worked with a, an old buddy on another company where we did a lot of travel tours. And um, it was something I did as a player, as a coach. And then we kind of built a company doing it. I branched off of him about three years ago. And I wanted to create not just a travel tours company. I wanted to create an, kind of an all-inclusive type basketball company that also did travel tours. So having the you know experience doing travel tours where we'd recruit players around the country, build teams and go in these international youth tournaments. Uh, I did that um, that first summer that we were able to in 2019. Um, 
and it really started to grow after that. For 2020, we were going to triple in size. For 2021, it was looking really good too. But as you know, the last two summers haven't been a whole lot of international travel with COVID. So, you know, that was kind of the first thing with it. I wanted to make this a company that had some uh, credible coaches that just kind of gave some free content, um, gives us some credibility, but also allows us to let people know that, you know, on these travel tours, we, we want to make players better, but also give them this great cultural educational type experience that they can take with them forever, even when basketball is over. Uh, now that COVID is improving, of course, it's not over, but now that it's improving, um, we were able to do the LA tour, uh, which was great. I almost worried that was going to get canceled because LA has been a hotbed, but we had a phenomenal experience or it was instead of going international and playing games, we had about 30 players come to LA and had a lot of great coaches, like you just mentioned, do, um, we thought high level skills instruction, but at the same time, really give them a feel of everything LA has to offer. Um, a lot of sightseeing activities here, but I think what a lot of people don't realize is that there's a lot of education in LA too, just from the sense that uh, every diverse culture resides in LA. And so every pocket of LA, you learn something new. And I'm all about, uh, I'm mean, going to get away from basketball here, but I'm all about, uh, you know, people learning at a young age, how to deal with other people and people at a young age getting exposed so that we can break some of those barriers, whether it's domestic or international. So, you know, that's that aspect of it. But with PhD hoops and COVID kind of slowed all this down, but we're, we're starting to get it back going again is uh, doing some skills clinics across the country. And we're getting some of those going this fall. we got a few scheduled for this fall, uh, COVID pending. And I think we'll have a bunch in the spring, hopefully. Uh, and then also we've been in talks with companies and other people about doing coaches clinics as well. So, you know, I want it to be something or it, it, it is something, but, you know, like I said, COVID has postponed a lot of it. It is something that should be uh, good for anybody that's involved in basketball, whether you're a player or a coach. Uh, it doesn't matter what level, there's something there for you with PhD hoops. We're going to teach you something about the game of basketball within PhD hoops. Coach, I just have a couple more. I could do this all night. And, uh, you know, the first thing I'm going to let you know, Lacey, I'm not even going to ask him, but you and I, need to get Coach Cruz on with with young Richie here, and that will be a fun night. But, Coach, a, a couple more. Skyline Chili, yes or no? Thumbs up, oh. thumbs down? Uh, three thumbs up. I used to work there in high school, and I got all the free Skyline as much as I as, as long as I worked there. It was amazing. And you would put it on the spaghetti, the cheese, the onions, the whole thing? Oh, I used to make the three ways, the four ways, the five ways, the cheese coney. I did it all, man. And Matter of fact, my sister is picking me up from the airport midnight on Friday, and uh, we're going straight to Skyline. I said, we're going to Skyline before we head home. I haven't had it in a long time. So good a question. Man after, Lacen, a man after my own heart. The other one, Coach, give me one rule change. You're the head of the NCA right now. You can change one basketball rule. What is it? Wow. I think you stumped me, man. I think you stumped me. I hadn't even, hadn't even thought about this, man. Um I gotta think. Honestly, I, 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 I never get, I don't, I never get bent out of shape about rule changes. I just kind of go with the flow. All right, that's the rule. Let's let's find a way to win. Uh, let's find a way to get through it. Coach, I we've think had, I can't. Yeah, I kind of remember. Yeah, go ahead. What was that? We've had some good ones. I think my favorite was to get rid of the coaching boxes, so we could have both coaches running up and down <laughs> sidelines. <laughs> Well, yeah, if I, if I wanted to crack a joke or something, I would have said that. But I thought you wanted a legit answer. <laughs> no, you could go. You could go legit. You know, the wider lane, the the shot clock, uh, you know, any of the jump ball, you know, any of those. I'm going to go against the grain here. Okay, this is this is going to shock you. I wish the shot clock was back at 35. Really? I do. I, I'm against it. So, All right. Yeah, I mean, but 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 again. That's the rules. Let's roll it. You know what I mean? And the reason being, when I was at St. Andrews as an assistant coach, you know, again, it was a most difficult job in the league. And so oftentimes we had lesser players. And so what do we have to do to be competitive? We ran the Princeton offense. I think shortening the shot clock hurts teams that are lesser. That's just my opinion. And I know there's different philosophies, but I don't like, I don't like how we're, why are we going towards the NBA? Why? I mean, what, are we going to make third graders play NBA style too? Like, why is college going that route? So, you know, I, I wish it was a longer shot clock, to be honest with you. And I know people that are listening to this right now are probably throwing tomatoes at the phone or their their their, their tablet that they're listening to this on. <laughs> no, that's great. I love it. I love the argument. 
yeah, I mean, when does it end? Why does college basketball have to be like pro in all aspects? Why are we trying to make the college game? And I know not everybody that listens to this is a college coach, but it seems like that, that's my background. It seems like college basketball wants to, or at least there's pressure to, uh, go more and more towards the program. I, I don't understand why. It's my opinion. Richie, I was going to say probably the closest thing that you had to a radio network there in uh, Laurenburg was maybe two cans and a string. Was was, was you know about <laughs> of it, you know, down there with everything you were going through. But now that you mentioned the Princeton offense, I got to ask: easy or hard to teach? Is it? Is it? Would you say say it one more time? Is it easy or easier? Easy or hard to teach? What was your experience? Uh, I would say, I, I personally think um, once you understand, I we we did, and maybe everybody does this, but we had four segments of it that we that we had. Um, I, I think once you understand it, I think it's easy to teach. It's easy to teach, but well, they it's not easy for them to grasp it. You know what I'm saying? That's my opinion. So we, you know, once you understood, in this situation you do this, in that situation you do that. Once you understand, because that's all, it's really just rote memory. You know what I mean? Like if this happens, you go there. If that happens, you do this. Now you might do something that somebody has to read off you, but there's, it's completely opposite of like the motion offense that Jim Cruz was teaching. Uh, you don't have a lot of freedom to do things. I think once you know it, like if you know it as a coach, I think it's easy to teach, but easy for them to grasp, man, that could take a year. And, and, and if you're in a place where you have a difficult time retaining players, it's going to be really hard to, I mean, year after year, you're going to be teaching a, a whole new crop of players. So, um, you know, if I was in a place, if I was a high academic school where like a high academic, maybe division three school uh, where, where kids generally oftentimes stay put more because they're focused on their academics, I, I for sure would run it. No doubt. No, I, I mean, I, I totally understand your frustration when, with, when you're talking about trying to implement motion because I mean, you know, pure motion, I can't th think of any schools here. I mean, you know, I'm in Raleigh, East or West, that were were pure motion, and maybe a handful that have run Princeton. You know, you know, in the past, in the past couple of years, maybe maybe one or two, just right off the top of my head. There, there might be more, but I just I know one of two of like, okay, they're gonna have some they're gonna have some Princeton elements to it. Let's kind of kind of prepare for it. But uh, Rich, any any final yeah. thoughts here on this? This has been a, a fun conversation. Like Jeff said, we could do this for hours. But uh, I know you probably have some <laughs> some things that you want to do as well. But uh, in, any final thoughts or things you want to, to throw out to us? You know, I, I just I appreciate what you guys are doing. I, when you guys asked me to do it, I jumped on and, and I listened to our, our, our old friend, Todd Morgan, uh, who, by the way, when I was an assistant coach at St. Andrews, my boss at the time, Billy Lee, offered him an assistant job. He interviewed with us and he really contemplated getting out of high school coaching and going the college route but he just couldn't swing it financially because uh, it wasn't paying very much. So I listened to him and Greg Brown and I was like, man, these guys, Lisa and Jeff are, are asking some tough questions. I don't know if I can hang with these guys, but this whole conversation has been a blast. I, you know, it, it's, it means a lot to me. I could do this all day. Like you guys said, because I'm in LA, my whole, most of my coaching network is, is back where you are, Lason. coach Osman. I'm not sure where you live. Um, where are you at? I am now uh, in Florida. I'm a New Yorker by heart. And uh, now I am the di director of the Booster Club for Montverde Academy, the six-time Boys Basketball National Championship. So I spend my afternoons with a Diet Coke watching Kevin Boyle and future <laughs> pros. Uh, so it's been great. It's been a really great transition for me. I have a son who's a sophomore there and can take them to and from school. So it's been a great pivot. Congrats on that. I had no idea you were down there. That's awesome. Well, you're on the East Coast where, you know, like I said, a lot of my coaching network is. I don't get a chance to just sit here and talk hoops with people as much as I want to. I mean, L.A., like my wife, for example, uh, she grew up in L.A., never once watched a sport. You know, and she doesn't know how many points a three-pointer is worth. So, like, I'm not talking basketball much at home. Uh, you know, and, and it, LA is, you know, you got to understand like, Lason, you're in North Carolina. There's 10 million people in the state. There's 10 and a half million people in Los Angeles County. So like if I have a coaching friend, that's just a few miles away, it might take me 45 minutes to get to him. So it's very hard to get coaches together. So for us to get here and just kind of talk together to me means a lot. So I, I just appreciate you guys having me on and, and, um, you know, helping bring coaches together and, and helping us all learn from one another.
Okay, so just a, a quick shout out in terms of where uh, coaches can can find out more information about you and what you're doing with PhD Hoops and, and that that information. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm always on social media. Uh, just punch in Richie Schuler. Uh, last name is spelled S C H U E L E R. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, but yeah, PhD Hoops is everything is at PhD Hoops. Uh, that is on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube. So there is uh, there's a lot of resources there. And then uh, my goal is really to, uh, you know, coaches sharing resources. So, Layson, you were so kind to give me a ton of stuff that you gave me so much. I'm having a hard time getting it all up on the web. But, you know, it could just I could create a whole website on your content alone. But I certainly want content for coaches to be able to share with one another if anybody wants to share theirs. That sounds great, Richie. So, coaches, thank you for joining us on this uh on this broadcast today, uh, again, uh, just uh, continue to, to check with us on Twitter about uh, updates and where we're heading with this. And uh, again, uh, hopefully we've given some value, maybe some things to think about, some some you know some things to consider as you uh, travel down your road of, of coaching and, and the journey you're taking. So uh, thank you again for being a part of this, and uh, we'll look forward to connecting with you again soon.